Your name's Anthony, isn't it? Yeah, his name's Anthony. My name's Dignan. I'm Stacy Sinclair. Elizabeth's sorority sister? I didn't know she had a sister. <laughs> oh my god, you have the best sense of humor. She is going to be so jealous. I saw you here. So, you go to school in Arizona, right? No, I was in the hospital. Oh, what for? I went nuts. He's kidding. He's kidding. He didn't go nuts. Thing. How'd it happen? Do you really want to know? Yes, I really do. One morning, over at Elizabeth's beach house, she asked me if I'd rather go water skiing or lay out. And I realized that not only did I not want to answer that question, but I never wanted to answer another water sports question or see any of these people again for the rest of my life. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 129, Bottle Rocket. It was always bound to happen, jumping back into Wes Anderson territory. Yeah, I don't find his movies particularly easy for this format. They are particularly great, though. Yeah, he's always been a personal favorite of mine, so we're giving it our best shot. Yeah. I don't really remember the Royal Tenenbaums episode. I assume it was okay. I think it was okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> which is pretty good for us. The material is tough to tackle for the way that we do this show. Yeah. Well, when I think about Bottle Rocket, the many times that I've thought of ideas for movies, I, I feel like I'm always like, no, that's too similar to Bottle Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> There's something charming about this movie. Beyond even how funny it is, because it's definitely funny, and beyond the little Wes Anderson quirks in it, but that lifestyle of early adulthood where you don't have too much responsibility, and if you wanted to, you could have these pretend adventures where you're staying at a cheap motel, you're eating at a diner, you're just going from place to place talking. There really isn't any structure to your life. Some of us never got out of that phase. (laughs) I wish. Yeah, it kind of takes us all the way back to the Mallrats episode. Yeah. That time period a little bit. Especially relatable for people who, you know, made it to like 20 and really didn't know where they were headed. You know, about 30 or 35. Never really got on. Yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) this kind of shows where you're headed if you stay on this path. You'll end up working on uh, Mr. Henry's landscaping team. For all of Wes Anderson's movies, especially the later ones, the characters seem more developed and hyper-specific and fit some sort of mold that he comes up with, whether it's him or him and his co-writer for whatever movie or whatever. These characters, which are pretty simplistic, a little bit more universal, 
I mean, Dignan is a quirky guy, but yeah. we all kind of know a Dignan. Oh, yeah. I'm sure to Matt, <laughs> I I'm us, a Dignan. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we, maybe we have some strands of Dignan DNA. Yeah, I would say that I'm similar in some respects and not in others. Sure. You're kind of a mix of Dignan and Anthony. <laughs> and Future Man for that. <laughs> and Bob. Yeah, sure. You're more of a Bob. Oh, I'm definitely a Bob. <laughs> yeah, like that part where he's like... Look, Dignan, I'm not that good at selling myself, okay? I have a car. I want to be part of the team. That is 100% me. But what I was saying was, I think Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, who co-wrote this one with him, their connection to these characters is that it is them. Whereas in Royal Tenenbaums, say, Wes took like a lot of inspiration from his own parents' divorce, and he kind of blew up those characters to be the wild characters of yeah. Royal Tenenbaums, but Bottle Rocket feels much more like a mirror image I would say, of yeah. aimless guys. For sure. And if they didn't have I think you can tell filmmaking. Luke Wilson is supposed to be Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think there's pieces of Wes Anderson probably in both characters, but well, yeah. Owen Wilson I don't know. I don't know if Owen Wilson's really like a Dignan or not. It's so weird when you think about it. If he's about not him. anything like that, then it's a pretty good portrayal. Well with him like co-writing these early Wes Anderson movies you don't really associate that with him when you start looking at where his career went not that it went poorly but you know yeah it went much more mainstream yeah Yeah. you don't really picture him as like an indie film writer and frankly I know that Wes Anderson's success level went up more recently with Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel I think those were his biggest box office movies yet I think quality-wise, I wish he would get back to the stuff that he was doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Where it seemed less quirky and more reality-based. Oh, yeah. I mean, those first few Wes Anderson movies, I'm always going to hold up as some of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I agree. Those are like an anytime watch for me. Yeah. Okay, before we jump into it, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod, subscribe on iTunes. I also wanted to point out a couple of errors recently that oh, I no. noticed going through the episodes. <laughs> Mostly things that I say. Okay. Because I feel like I'm expected to provide all this information. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's I, we, a lot. We do rely heavily on that, yeah. Some of them are minor. So in the Thing episode, episode 128, I said that his last film, The Ward, came out in 2006. John Carpenter was actually 2010. Okay. Not a big deal. I think it's okay to it be twice. wrong about that. <laughs> and I did refer to his big trouble in Little China as a hit, <laughs> and it is a huge box office failure. Okay. That's okay. And I did mention in the year in review episodes when we talked about Eighth Grade, I said it was nominated for a screenplay award. It is actually not, and was kind of a big surprise and a snub. All right. Because it actually just won the Writers Guild Award for Best Original Screenplay. And I think okay. Bo Burnham's well, I think speech, just... he said, to all the losers, have fun at the Oscars. Because <laughs> he's not nominated, but he won for the Writers Guild, which you would right. think would translate to the Oscar nomination, but it didn't. Is that all the corrections? Those are the ones I noticed yeah, recently. I know, a lot I... of times I'll take them out, but I've left some in. Well, I think you do a good job. <laughs> you know, recently, as early, or I guess as recent as today, I got a text message saying that this particular person enjoyed the intro for the uh, On the Record. And oh, I was that's like, good. I was like, well, that's 100% Zach. 
I'm glad to know somebody's listening to On the Record. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and there will be more On the Record episodes sometime soon. We just happen to hit a run of potential give us a second ideas. So that's kind of our fallback when we don't have an immediate give us a second topic. We'll go back to On the Record. <laughs> <laughs> there will always be a place for it. So I think in introducing Bottle Rocket, we should explain our show a little bit for those that haven't gotten it <laughs> over a hundred and whatever episodes. I think if we didn't stick to a format of picking one movie and just talking about it, our whole podcast would basically be our conversations, which are, you know what movie I watched recently? <laughs> it's so good. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> which we were doing right before we started recording. And as long as we have you know, six or seven other people willing to listen to us sure. bullshit about movies, <laughs> right. and we'll keep doing it. But the reason I say that is our conversations, the way that we talk about things, and the way that I've been with pretty much all my friends since high school. Yeah, the long list. Is, <laughs> there's a lot of names, but they don't stay on right. the list for very long, <laughs> yes. usually. That's the thing. I just feel like these interactions, these hangouts, these conversations, the way that we talk about pop culture and media is so heavily influenced by the indie cinema that was so big in the mid-90s, oh, yeah. whether it's Bottle Rocket or Clerks or whoever, and that idea of just talking. And, you know, Tarantino introduced it with the way that the characters talk at the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs. Right. I don't think any of these directors necessarily invented this idea, but... Yeah, it was certainly kind of carried on in the uh, the mumblecore era. Yeah, it was hugely influential on me. And from that idea springs our podcast and every right. other attempted podcast yeah. we've ever done. <laughs> Going back and revisiting movies like Bottle Rocket is always a treat. It's like a time machine into my own past. Even though I probably didn't watch Bottle Rocket until post-high school, I'm pretty sure. Definitely oh, college. De for me, I yeah, that was, again, one of those things that... And we've talked about it so many times on this show, but like Wes Anderson, I definitely had to do like a retroactive for it. it. wasn't like I was seeing these movies as they came out. I think I probably saw Rushmore first, and then I watched Royal Tenenbaums, and then I watched Bottle Rocket. I think I saw Rushmore first on VHS, yeah. but I saw Royal Tenenbaums in the theater. I think, though, by the time I watched Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums was already out. So that's... Yeah. I mean, I, you were way more caught up than I was. I was the one in my group of friends that wanted to see a movie like Royal Tenenbaums and would get people to do it. Even it would though, get booed by your friends? Kind of. Yeah. They would be bored. Right. But I was interested in seeing things other than whatever garbage was coming out in <laughs> 2001. Or Which whatever. is strange because you're all about seeing garbage along with like the Royal well, Tenenbaums yeah, I of would, today. I know. I still would. Yeah. But I'm saying... I wanted to see a lot more than what my current group of friends yeah. was seeing at the time, and I was forcing the issue. <laughs> and then I think Bottle if Rocket... If we're not going to see this, I'm not hanging out with you ever again. <laughs> I don't remember the first time I saw Bottle Rocket. It's hard to say. I, I don't have a clear memory of that. I think I was buying Rushmore DVD at a store, and the dude working there was like, oh, have you ever seen Bottle Rocket? And I was like, I haven't. And then shortly thereafter... Yeah. I watched it. Those were the days where things like that could happen. Yeah. Now it would never happen. No. <laughs> that store certainly doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah, I, I like that the place that they rob in the movie is a bookstore. Oh, in yeah. In the beginning. And you're just How like, long what has is that been closed? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of the bookstore described in the book, The Mysteries of Pittsburgh, that he works at. Oh, yeah. Which I think he does in the movie, too, but it's kind of harder to... Just a generic... Oh, right. 
book place. <laughs> I was trying to think of Mina Suvari's character name. I don't remember. <laughs> it didn't translate one for one. Oh, okay, gotcha. Like, I think it was like Flox. Yeah, right? That, that, right. Flox That's is like a is. main character in the book, and yet in the movie, she's like a joke, right? Yeah. I mean, it's she's in really it. confusing. She's around. Whatever. We, ta- we used to talk about Mysteries of Pittsburgh on virtually every episode of this podcast. It would get brought up uh, for some true. reason. Well, that's the thing. I that mean, was a long time ago. If you just started listening, you probably were like, what the fuck? Well, yeah. I mean, we're kind of having like a flashback to the way the show used to be with like little nuggets of gold thrown in like that. <laughs> Whereas like most of the time these days, we don't have time because we need to get through your eight pages of notes, you know? Yeah, which we're going noteless for this one. So it's... It's going to be a wild ride. It could it could go off the rails. That yeah. could happen. I love what we were able to accomplish with The Thing. I love when we fully break down everything we can from a movie. And even then, we still probably miss tons of stuff. <laughs> sure, yeah. But I didn't really want to have to wade through a two-hour Bottle Rocket episode. Yeah, I just didn't I mean, want to have to do that. It's one of those things where I feel like if you're going beat by beat, we would just be like stopping and saying, another good line here, kind of funny, <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is a movie that, to me, gets funnier almost any t- every time you see it. Well, this is definitely, like, the first glimpse at the talent that Wes Anderson has for just, like, dynamite one-liners, you know? <laughs> yeah, a very dry humor, subtle, sarcastic, sometimes self-deprecating, sometimes sure. just a little cutting line towards somebody else right. in a funny way build out of a strange situation or having strange characters interact or whatever. I think with this one, the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, that was okay. I would put it behind Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. But now later in life, rewatching this movie, you pick up on more of the jokes. You see things that are funny. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say it's better than those other two, but it's more on that level now. Right. This movie does always throw me a little bit with the actual story because it feels like you're off of the path for various points of the movie you know like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like they're on that set path heading them straight for this heist operation at the end of the movie it feels like they deviate from it quite a bit or they're in prolonged periods where they're not doing something working towards that yeah and you could very easily forget about the end heist and right. just remember yeah. that they rob the bookstore and then they go to that motel yes that seems like such a big chunk of the movie and then they come back from the motel right. and then you're like oh here's this whole other part <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's the thing but you know james Kahn is in the movie and he's not like there's a certain point where you're just like is james Kahn just in a picture in this movie and that's it <laughs> james Kahn being in this movie is one of the more random things right you could ever do imagine. you think that him being in it and the character that he plays is kind of a reference to thief yeah I think so, too. It's possible. I do think that they wanted Bill Murray, and eventually now Wes Anderson's worked with Bill Murray on pretty much every other movie he's ever done. yeah. But I think James Conn wasn't necessarily their first choice, but you can't help yeah. draw that comparison, because he is referred to specifically as a thief pretty early. And I think that uh, it would have been interesting if they didn't get James Conn in this movie, if they didn't get, like, a name. I don't really know how this all came together. It seemed like they were kind of blessed, I guess. They borrowed some money from their parents. They made this short film. They took it to Sundance. They sold the idea of turning this short film into a feature. This yeah. all happened between, like, 94 and 96. Well, that's a, I was watching the, the making of, and James Brooks gets involved at some point. Yeah. 
But it, they were saying that, you know, after Sundance, it basically took like two years to get this movie made. Yeah, and they ended up with a $5 million budget, which seems crazy to me. Oh, right. I'm sure that a big chunk of that was probably to pay James Caan. Well, I don't, I don't it, know where the yeah, rest of I mean, that money James went. I mean, James Caan was like, I mean, he was kind of funny in the interviews for this because he was basically like, you know, minimal prep by me to do this role. Uh, it, they were like, you know, it, it's three days. I think he had a relationship with James Brooks, which probably helped. And he was like, yeah, you know, I mean, it was three days of shooting. It's basically as if I got called up to do Hollywood Squares or something. <laughs> Hollywood Squares. Yeah, so, you know, really uh, a lot of dedication from him. Yeah, it's almost like they wanted to have him just to add a little bit of legitimacy to the project. Oh, sure. You yeah. can't really think of James Caan as like a box office draw in 1996. No. I don't think he was selling tickets. Well, but if somebody sees that, oh, there's real people in this, because everybody right. else was basically, this was their first thing and they were unknown. Well, I mean, they, they at a certain point in that making of thing, they talk about like doing, once the movie was completed and doing like these preview showings where people actually like write on the paper and everything, what they thought, like mm -hmm. rate it, review it or whatever. And someone wrote, this is not a James Caan-led comedy. <laughs> <laughs> As if, I don't know why someone would be interested in that anyway. Yeah, I don't know. But it's kind of funny. Like, you know, they were all kind of devastated by these previews because the people were walking out. The reviews were, like, so bad that people were writing just, like, in big letters, scribble, like, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one made me think of you because it was just like, why don't we see Inez's breast? <laughs> <laughs> you know what valid point right <laughs> <laughs> out of five stars yeah this was the worst test screened movie in the history of the studio i believe i yeah i think that's right something like that's that. quite a i don't know how exactly that's determined but and yet it was released it got pretty good reviews is considered a critical success yet on a $5 million budget, I think it only made like $500,000. I mean, it was a complete financial disaster, which nowadays would derail everything and Wes Anderson's well, career would be over. But back then, people within the industry liked the movie. That's enough. And that was enough. Oh. People were like, well, yeah, you're going to get more chances. I don't think that would really happen now. As soon as I was done watching that making of documentary, it, it immediately made me want to look into like, so what happened after that? How does Rushmore get launched then? Yeah, and how do they get Bill Murray to right. do it? I don't know. But I guess like, you know, when you have, you know, as you alluded to before the show, when you have like a Martin Scorsese writing like rave things about it, that helps your cause. Yeah. Although the thing he wrote, I don't think came out until like 2000. Okay. So that would have been after Rushmore. He wasn't right on top of it. So the movie's a disaster. Owen Wilson considers joining the Marines because he just doesn't oh, wow. think it's going to work out. <laughs> He's like, I'm writing don't kill yourself books. <laughs> reading <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone was kind of like, well, this didn't work. Nobody saw this movie. The test screenings were bad. I mean, yeah, critics liked it, but so what? That yeah. doesn't generate any money. And well, thankfully, Rushmore became a bigger success. I, I still don't think they were making tons of money, but no, no. I could be wrong. I, I want to say they were nominated for a screenplay Oscar for a Rushmore, that but maybe seems not. seems right, but I don't know. They definitely were for Royal Tenenbaums. It was funny listening to Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson talk about this time period once James Brooks got involved with like the making of Bottle Rocket because he basically like put him up in like these offices. They had like a secretary to like just do like writing for it and everything. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Wes Anderson was like, 
I don't think in my years of working, I've ever been put up in a better situation than this with like offices like this and stuff. But they were like, <laughs> Owen's like underwear was just like everywhere because he was basically like sleeping there too. <laughs> okay, so the movie starts with Luke Wilson's character Anthony in a kind of like a mental facility. I guess, yeah. Voluntary. Right. Kind of makes me think a lot about like these types of places. What, how much of a dream it would be to live there? and if I can get into one right now, yeah. So he's about to get out. Anthony's friend, Dignan, quote-unquote, rescues him. And Anthony plays along like he's escaping out of this place. Even though the whole point of him being there is voluntary. It's not like he's court-ordered or anything like that. Now, the movie takes place in Texas, right? Yes. Is that correct? This is in Arizona, Arizona. but yeah. yeah. Okay. I think it's kind of funny, and Anthony's little sister brings this up later when she's kind of like questioning him as to why he would be at this place and he says for exhaustion and she's like you've never worked a day in your life how could you be exhausted and it is funny that this is how the movie opens with him being in this place because it's a reflection of that I guess you would say panic that you feel in your early 20s if you don't really have a plan or you don't really know what you're doing, and all of a sudden you're expected to be an adult. Because I think his little sister, Grace, is like, when are you coming home? And he's like, I'm an adult, I can't come home. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he's trying to live this life, and it seems like his pre-psychiatric unit life was going well, well by superficial standards. Unlike Dignan, Anthony really kind of seemed like he had a lot going for him. You don't yeah. really get into, like what his academic life was like in college or job prospects down the road, you don't really know, but it feels like he was dating a rich girl. Right. (laughs) And it seemed like he was going to have opportunities or something. Yes. And obviously we get it from him that he couldn't deal with this life anymore. Yeah, the idea, I guess, is just general discontent, lack of fulfillment, and the ability to see through the fakeness of his prior life. Right. Which we kind of have to project that idea because we don't get a whole lot there other than the one funny line. You have like two conversations, yeah. Yeah. So, Although that line has sort of morphed (laughs) my whole (laughs) vision of life. After Anthony leaves the psych unit place, Dignan shows him a 75-year plan that he's mapped out in a notebook. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, feels familiar as far as us mapping out the next... 300 episodes of this podcast (laughs) this is kind of one of the few i feel like glimpses of the throwaway wes anderson things that just seem to be more and more in every movie you know like looking at some booklet noted the 75 year plan yeah 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 i think if you are unfamiliar with wes anderson's work the one thing that will jump out to you when you start exploring it is this odd attention to specific little weird details that fulfill the world that his characters live in right everything is very gadgets yeah little designs and i don't know there's all kinds of different trademarks to his work and whether you like his films or not i think it's indisputable that he's one of the few auteurs working out there that has his set way of making things and his look his feel his style the way that he writes characters, it all translates across all of his movies. And I think that's something that we've lost today in modern times is like directors that put their stamp on a thing. And you know, this is a Wes Anderson movie. It's not some generic 
studio movie with a director for hire. Right. It's his thing. The one thing that kind of annoys me with the the Wes Anderson pushback is people who just focus solely on this stuff. And it's almost like you lose the fact that it's like, yeah, but this movie is hilarious. Like, the script is, like, so funny. Yeah. The character studies are so interesting. Yeah, I would say it's weird because I think his more recent movies are even more beloved, and yet they are way more guilty of that. (laughs) Yeah, right. There's a lot of style in his more recent stuff, and you could conceivably make the argument, not that I would agree with it, but you could make the argument that it's more style than substance, whereas these earlier films, I don't think you can really say that, although I'm sure critics of his would. Yeah. Especially in Bottle Rocket, which is probably his most normal movie i think so yeah and i don't i don't really think it's close (laughs) right it definitely feels like bottle rocket is pretty much existing in the real world yes and you start getting farther away from that because rushmore you're still pretty much in the real world but then you start getting into like the characters and the people are weirder right (laughs) and royal tenenbaum seems to take place in a new version of new york that never quite existed i I love the play at the end of rushmore i don't really see that ever (laughs) happening (laughs) in the world yeah what is that supposed to be like apocalypse now that's what it seems like and then he had done like serpico like earlier (laughs) right (laughs) okay the first thing they do is this practiced heist at anthony's family's house stealing specific items from a previously agreed upon list where Dignan later reveals that he took a pair of earrings that he wasn't supposed to take. He went off list for this, yeah. This at least provides an opportunity for Anthony to go see his sister, Grace, and she's at school. There's nothing more humiliating for someone like Anthony, I think, than he's going to see his sister at school, and then his sister's kind of, like, annoyed, and she tells her little friend, like, could you give us a minute or whatever? And the friend's like, are you sure? Right. <laughs> like right in front of <laughs> Anthony. It just looks so humiliating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Grace. Hey, Grace. You're supposed to be in Arizona. Wait, you don't say hi anymore? Come on. Are you the pilot? No, I'm, I'm Anthony. I'm Grace's brother. We excuse this for a minute, Bernice? Are you sure? Well, you told your friend Bernice I'm some kind of jet pilot? What was I supposed to say? They stuck you in an insane asylum? It wasn't an insane asylum, Grace. I explained to you back then that it was for exhaustion. Exhaustion? Yes, exhaustion. You haven't worked a day in your life. How could you be exhausted? And there is just something belittling about having to take advice from someone younger than you yeah and knowing that they're right but especially when it's someone this much younger than you yeah and we were talking off mic before the show about how this scene feels familiar and they definitely did a version of it in 500 days of summer but i feel like there's other things too yeah i mean you have like the male character and then his younger sister who's seemingly smarter and able to provide a little bit of humor and guidance whenever uh Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg were doing Pineapple Express. I remember hearing them like talk about it like, well, it's like in true romance, we love the scenes with Brad Pitt, but we just want to spend like a whole movie with that kind of character. Yeah. You could see like a, you know, similarly if like the writer of 500 Days of Summer was like, well, we love this scene in Bottle Rocket. We would like to see more of that woven into a movie. I feel like it's almost disappointing that there isn't more interactions between Anthony and Grace because 
his facial reactions to the stuff that she's saying, like her kind of calling him out for basically, and I'm not like, I'm, I'm not belittling like true mental illness or anything like that, but she's kind of like calling him out for being just like a wimp. Yeah. Having fake <laughs> mental illness, maybe. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> right. That kind of thing. Maybe it's time to grow up. And then she disapproves of Dignan a little bit. And that's funny, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's like, I thought you liked Dignan. She's like, I do like Dignan. And I think everybody likes Dignan. But, just but you realizes, can't really right. <laughs> take a person like that seriously. And you can't really tie yourself to that person or your life's outcome to them. Okay, can you do me a favor? Take, uh, I want you to take these earrings and put them in Mom's mahogany box. Now put them in your backpack or something so don't lose them here. These? Could you just put them in the box, please, Grace? You, you've really gotten into the bad habit of asking a huge amount of questions lately. I gotta go, okay, pal? What's gonna happen to you, Anthony? Jeez, Grace, what the hell kind of question is that to ask me? When are you coming home? Grace. Can't come home. I'm an adult. During that sequence, we first meet Bob Maplethorpe, potential getaway driver. Dignan's talking to him, trying to get him to join the team, I guess. But he's making him work for it. Bob Maplethorpe, potential getaway driver. Go. Go. Well, I think there's a real area of mystery about Don't me. Don't complicate it. Your number one strength is you have a car you can provide. Sell yourself. Start over. You ready? Go. Okay, all right. I'm a risk taker. I'm growing an entire crop of marijuana plants in my parents' backyard. I think that wait, shows wait a little- a second. You're growing an entire crop of marijuana in your backyard? Dignan, you look, I'm just not that good at this selling yourself stuff, okay? So I'm just gonna tell you the truth. I really wanna be a part of this team. And I'm the only one with a car. That's good, that's good. Cause that hits me right here. Yeah, it's kind of sad how Dignan always really looks past him. Yeah, it's funny, too, because Bob contributes so much to the team in the well, sense Well, having that a car. He's the only one with a car. He pays for the gun. They really set up shop at his house. Yeah. That house that they're using that's Bob's is like a Frank Lloyd Wright house that's kind of an architectural thing that people oh, wow. go and see or whatever. There you go. But Bob is supposed to be rich. I guess. His family. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Bob, not independently wealthy. And I think you get the impression that Anthony's family is pretty well off as well. I would think. That yeah. it's Dignan who, we don't get any... You don't see any of his family. But he gets upset whenever Anthony's like, well, why don't we rob your house then? And he's just like, you know my mom and Craig don't have anything to take or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so mad. Oh, no. Just like, oh, boy. This guy that plays Bob. Yeah. I mean, what's going on did his career do anything I, I don't know i think he mostly has just appeared in other wilson brothers so, uh, yeah material. i don't think he was you know really an actor before this i wasn't sure if he did much acting outside of this they talk about him in the making of thing because basically it was just like a guy that hung out at a bar by you know I, I think like the wilsons and wes anderson all kind of like lived together right during this time period and i guess like owen would <laughs> like challenge this dude that plays bob to play pool uh-huh and they would bet and like bob would like always lose <laughs> so every time like owen wilson was like running out of money he would go challenge him to a game of pool <laughs> <laughs> so the 
relationship dynamics translated from right. real life yes, right, onto exactly. Screen. So the three of them buy a gun. They're planning this heist. The whole point of them pulling a heist is supposedly to impress this guy named Mr. Henry, who will be played by James Caan. And At some point. That feels so far away from right now. Yeah. The big secret, though, is that Dignan worked for Mr. Henry as a landscaper for a company called the Lawn Wranglers. Yes. And he got fired. Now, this is always <laughs> very confusing to me. How much insight Dignan actually had to Mr. Henry's life as a criminal? Like, you wouldn't think any, really. Yeah, I mean, he, I guess did, he did reference hearing stories. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Right? With the crew. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess he knew enough, and I don't know, it's kind of unclear as to when Dignan becomes just a mark. Right. I don't know. Maybe from the beginning, but Dignan himself didn't have any money, so they got rid of him, and then he, That's gets, possible. he works that his way back into yeah. the picture because of Bob. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting because you always get the impression that Anthony likes Dignan and cares for him, and that he's his friend and everything, and he's willing to humor Dignan's wild ideas and his weird oh, yeah. energy and all of this stuff. Anthony is weirdly gullible at times in this movie. It's just strange to me, though, that they're willing to just be like, yeah, I'm going to rob this bookstore. <laughs> I guess, like, Anthony is just, like, so lost that he'll just go along with whatever. Yeah, I, I guess, I, you know, he's in, he's in need of a plan, and right. Dignan is offering one. has a plan yeah, at all times. A 75-year one. <laughs> because a lot of times it does seem like Anthony's just humoring Dignan, but he's actually willing to go along with actual crimes. Yeah. Which is strange. There's definitely certain times where, I mean, you know, the big end of the movie where Anthony's like, Dignan, you can't go back in there. You know if you do, what's going to happen? <laughs> he knows Dignan's going to fuck everything up. Yeah. A lot of the comedic gold is mined from the three of them bickering leading up to the robbery, the robbery itself, the way that Dignan treats Bob, and then Anthony having to kind of mediate between the two of them oh, right. at all times. Okay, escape route is crucial, just in case somebody is tailing us or even chasing us, as the case may be. We can't be sure how it is going to happen. Do you think that we're going to we... be chased tonight? Is that a possibility? That's a good question. No, I don't think we're going to be chased. I'm just being hypocritical here. However, I will say... Bob, please don't interrupt me, man, because I'm trying to stay focused on this stuff. You're responsible for the external situation tomorrow. Streets and the getaway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Excuse me. The... Are the explosives really necessary here? I think it'd be a lot more simple if I just walk up to the door alone. I, I think that that would be... Why are you undermining me, man? How much bullets does this thing take? Bob, look, Please, I'm paying man. attention. God damn it! You're not paying attention if you're messing around with the gun. Now quit... I'm... Anthony, just keep the gun on the table. Keep... Look, I, I can't focus look, unless the gun, gun is on the table. Well, you I just paid, paid for it. Shut up, man. Shut up. I'm warning you now. Be quiet, please. It's true, Dignan. I paid for the gun. Say it again. Say it one more time. Say it again. Repeat what you just said. I paid for the gun. <sighs> He's out. You're out, too. And I don't calm think I'm down, in. Okay, no gang. The, the three of them are almost like the three dudes from Big Lebowski. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Bob's just like, I am the walrus. <laughs> <laughs> the group goes and steals what a, seems to be a fairly small sum of money. 
from the bookstore, and then the plan is that they're going to go on the lamb. <laughs> now, the actual robbery scene, pretty funny. When they put the tape over their noses... <laughs> Yeah, the most ridiculous disguises of all time. Bob's like, "Why are you putting tape on your noses?" Dignan's like, "Exactly." <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole plan and the whole point of the movie is these guys that aren't really bad people, and they commit a crime here, and they're not innocent in that sense. But they have all of this ambition to be larger than life. They want to do these wild fun crazy adventures that they see from tv and movies and they're talking about this big robbery and then wanting to go on the lamb and then change their appearances (laughs) like you know like they're criminal masterminds like they're involved in something so big maybe the police would have found them if they stayed in town who knows it's not like there's going to be a huge (laughs) criminal investigation for this it's kind of like if you don't catch somebody pretty quickly then they're probably just going to move on fades out and yet they act like they're these famous outlaws of the yeah. old Wild West or something, and it's they got to do all this stuff. Definitely and, one of my favorite scenes is their little like celebration scene <laughs> after they pull off this heist back at Bob's parents' house. Yeah. Dignan's just doing that ridiculous dance. <laughs> I, you can kind of see what the characters around Dignan see, which is this contagious sort of zest for life. He may not be the smartest guy. He may not really have a clue as to what he's doing, but there's this unending energy, this <laughs> desire to do something big. I think they kind of describe him in that making of thing as like a romantic of life or yeah. something. Yeah, and I'm going to read a quote from Martin Scorsese himself later that kind of ties in with that. So this motel that they go to, just a generic looking place, I don't know how far it's supposed to be from where they stole the money. Unclear. They just go to another place. It's to scale of real life. (laughs) Isn't this place like between Dallas and Austin? Something like that, yeah. They're basically just staying at this motel doing nothing but like swimming in the pool. Which (laughs) seems awesome. Yeah. I've had many a dream about this being my life. Just hanging out at a hotel. It's funny because I think that when you do something like this, you ultimately are somewhat disappointed that you're not living up to this fantastical idea that you've built up in your head, and it's not as exciting as you thought, and you're whatever. But then in reality, when you look back at these moments, this is like the best times of your life. It's just doing this to do it. Whether or not they actually are being pursued by the police (laughs) or whatever, They're spending this time together in their youth on an adventure, and it leads to something great for Anthony, which is love in the form of (laughs) the housekeeper at the motel named Inez. There's something to me about the hotel and the idea of like going on the road and just that feeling of freedom and adventure. But at the same time, as soon as you get into that hotel room and you're like 15 minutes into it, it starts to feel like a jail cell to a degree. You're just like, what am I doing in here? And you'd have to be pretty naive, as all of these characters are, to actually think that what they're doing has any purpose and they're actually being pursued and that they need to actually do this. So uh, the Inez character, yes, this was definitely something that resonated with me when I saw it as like a, I think I was like 20, 21 when I first watched this movie. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, I, I don't know, I can't even really explain why. But I was so drawn to this idea of like 
falling in love with a hotel maid that couldn't speak English. And I was like, that seems great to me. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Hello. Excuse me. No, no, it's okay. Come on in. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Jeez, it's great how you're able to bring a room to life like this. Just a little touch. Jeez, it's, uh, it's nice out today, isn't it? Boy, you get a nice breeze with that door open like it is. It was kind of stuffy in here. Do you... Do all of these rooms yourself, all of these up and I'm Anthony. Anthony. What's your name? Ines. Ines. Oh, sorry. Sorry, this is I think I might have seen you earlier when I was swimming. Did you happen to see me down there by the pool? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Speak English? Spanish? You have really good posture, you know. You stand up very straight. You know, people they think because they're in a hotel that they can really just kind of act like slobs. It's bad manners if you ask me. If I were guilty of it, yeah. Which part of Mexico are you from? Paraguay. Paraguay. Boy, okay, that's kind of over. Excuse I'm me, Anthony. Guatemala, I think. Sorry, Ness. These towels are still warm. I guess that's from the dryer. When Nez is from Paraguay, doesn't really speak much English. Anthony can't speak Spanish, but they seem to have this bond, which pretty much is just Anthony talking and oh, her not really even knowing what he's saying. Well, I mean, it's kind of a sad thing, but it's just like, is her interest in it just because of his interest in her? I mean, what else is there? Yeah, I think if you were going to retroactively critique this movie, you could say that this relationship is somewhat problematic and troublesome. but Headed to a bad place? No, just the, the construction of it in the movie. Oh, okay. Just the way that it's set up is... It seems very artificial. I mean, you do. I think like Anthony gets this whole idea of what she is, but like that is kind of shaken when he gets to like go out with her. And obviously she like has this whole other life. Yeah. I mean, not to say that she's doing anything nefarious, but like. Right, right. I mean, he obviously has this innocent idea about her and, and I don't know if, you know, it's seemingly based off nothing. Yeah, and I do think that if you're willing to go down that road of critiquing it, then you also have to be willing to understand what love really is. And I think there is often a projection and an allusion to it rather than just like all the cards being out on the table from the very beginning. And I think it's... As we've discussed as early as, you know, the Adventureland episode. (laughs) Things are not always as they appear. 
Yeah, and I think it's reasonable to portray a situation where two people that don't speak the same language can fall in love and what it's based on doesn't really make sense because nothing about something like this makes sense unless you're in it, unless it's happening to you. Right, true, yeah. So from a distance, you're like, I don't really understand why she's interested in him. He seems to be interested in her physically because he's noticing her when he's in the pool and she's first going from room to room and she is in bare feet. And so he's just kind of fixated on her ankles and like legs and feet. Right. And he's just staring at her. I mean, no surprise here, (laughs) but (laughs) she just has sexy feet. No rules against cleaning the rooms in bare feet. Evidently not. It is weird. It's I don't know when it happened in my life. I, I can say definitely... Your foot fetish developing. <laughs> well, that was very early on. One of the things that's changed for me in the way that I watch movies, because I can remember it the first time I watched Bottle Rocket and did not feel this way, it's just seeing things through the character's perspective is like what I always did. For me, if Anthony gets something back from Inez at the end of this movie, like, oh, she's in love with him, like that's like a win for me, like watching it. Like, oh, I'm like, yes. Inez and Anthony, this is going to happen. But like at some point, I started being, being able to watch movies and be like, this is probably not really a great thing, <laughs> these two. Eh, I don't know if I agree that it's not a great thing. I don't know. I don't see it heading somewhere positive. I just feel like there's some barriers that they'd have to really overcome. Well, she does a lot of work to learn English better. That's true. Which, again, puts all of the onus on her. He right. does literally nothing. Yes. He doesn't learn any Spanish. <laughs> yeah i mean i think he's immature and in order to make something like this work he would have to grow up a bit and do more work himself he can't expect her to do everything just because he decided that he likes her which is kind of what it feels like yeah yeah we are only seeing it from his perspective i don't know what her perspective i guess you know maybe it is a good thing for her she doesn't really seem like she's got like a ton going on Well, I don't know if it's... But then again, it's like, what's he going to do? I don't know if love has to be weighing your other options is the only reason to do or not do it. I think you should be pragmatic at all times. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) She's a maid. What did she ever do with her life? (laughs) I'm just thinking of that part from the movie where Dignan's talking about Grace. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anthony's little sister who's like still in like elementary school. And he's like, what did she ever do with her life? Right. Which is basically like an argument I use for like anyone that's criticized me ever. (laughs) I'm just like, well, what's so great about you? I mean, how did Grace get so cynical? Look, I can't answer that question right now. All I'm concerned about is getting you back in the car, man. Let's get back in the car where you can She thinks I'm a failure. What? She said you were a failure? What What has she ever accomplished with her life that's so great, man? Nothing. Nothing. Wait, you don't have to do anything, I'm not saying that she has to look up to me at all. I'm not saying that. Don't worry about it. Maybe she should. Why not? Okay, so Bob finds out his brother, Future Man, who is basically a bully towards Bob. He's played by Luke and Owen's brother andrew he's kind so of all like, three wilson brothers are in this film uh one of those and none of them are playing brothers none of them are related <laughs> in the movie uh what was that show that we watched red oaks he kind of reminds me of one of the douchebag characters from that yeah he's, he's almost a, a country clubber right yeah he's very reminiscent of the country club bullies that you would see in like goonies or any oh, number right, yes. of 80s movies and i don't know why he's called future man i think his real name's john <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. It makes no sense. I mean, it's, it's hard to one of those weird ticks that you would see a lot more in these indie movies from the 90s where there would just be something weird in it just for an inside joke or whatever. Right. And the audience is never really clued in on what they had. Um, is it Andrew Wilson? Yeah. He was talking about the character and I think it being like pitched to him or whatever. I don't know if it was one of his brothers that was telling him about him or what, but they were like, yeah, you're going to play this guy. He's supposed to be like futuristic, kind of from the future. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really understand I know, what that means. I know. Well, it seems like he, when he was even telling that, it was like with a wink. I couldn't really tell <laughs> what that was supposed to mean. It's probably some inside joke that we just don't know. Sure, right. That's what I would guess. I would think. Maybe there's some explanation out there online. I didn't really look for it. I'd prefer it just to be a funny thing. I don't really care why he's yeah. called Future Man. But anyway, Future Man is in jail because Bob was growing pot in the backyard of their family house. And so Dignan doesn't want to leave. I don't know why. I don't know how long he thought they needed to stay at this motel. Right. <laughs> Well, he's like, we got to get our hair cut, you know, yeah, change our know. appearance. But Bob wants to go back. Bob tells Anthony privately that he's going to leave. So Anthony knows. Dignan doesn't know. And then Dignan wakes up and the car's gone. He's like, he stole his car. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony ends up giving Dignan an envelope to give to Inez. It's the rest of the money that they stole. Anthony and Inez can't quite get on the same page emotionally he's telling her that he loves her she's not really leap here getting it i guess well this is one of those things where it's just like if you're inez where's this going anthony are we gonna go live at bob's house (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that seems strange because if where does anthony live i don't know i mean he says to grace that he can't come home yeah i don't know where we never see that right (laughs) not unclear yeah so Dignan, like, he doesn't know that he's given the rest of the money to Inez. Inez just like, okay, she hugs Dignan to say goodbye, and she ends up asking this interpreter that Anthony and her had been using to tell Dignan to tell Anthony that she loves Anthony too. Dignan doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> he thinks that this dishwasher kid is telling him that he loves Anthony, and is, he doesn't know that he's interpreting for right. Yes. So there's a, this miscommunication. And so he doesn't really tell Anthony about this until way later in the film. So she, Anthony just basically goes back to town and, well, they have a fight on the way back. So they kind of split up, basically. Right. Dignan's pissed about the money. Anthony's just pissed in general because he feels like Inez didn't love him back. How do they get the replacement car that they use to get back? I think Dignan just finds it or something. Okay. I don't know. It's just some weird old Alfa Romeo. Right. I don't know. But it breaks down. This is when they have this fight over the money because they could have used the money in this situation, but they don't have uh, it absolutely. anymore. Absolutely. So they go their separate ways. Anthony is narrating now. It's through the form of a letter to his sister. He says that he and Bob have settled into a routine of working three jobs. I think he must be staying with Bob at it this seems point. That but I don't way. know if he was living with him before right. or not. Their jobs are kind of funny when they show like they're doing like housework or whatever and they're both just like laying on the roof like eating lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, while Anthony and Bob are doing that, Dignan rejoins with Mr. Henry. Which this is another thing that you don't get a scene for, so it's kind of hard to put it together. 
you wonder yeah. if maybe Dignan was like over explaining something about his past with Bob and everything. Right. And like the idea started percolating with Mr. Henry then. Because it's not like Mr. Henry is just going to take Dignan back. Yeah. I think any number of things is possible as to what Dignan could have said that made Mr. Henry realize that there was an opportunity here. Yes. I don't know. But this is where Dignan starts wearing that ridiculous jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> He's riding around on that little motorbike right. thing. Yes. Getting made fun of by Acting Future very Man. manic at this point. What the hell are you wearing? Yeah. It's a jumpsuit. Clay, look at this guy. He looks like a rodeo clown. <laughs> he looks like a little banana. Where are you from anyway, man? I'm from around here. This guy used to mow our lawn. No shit. Yeah, he was great. Clipping the hedges, sweeping up, mowing the lawn. <laughs> what was the name of your little lawn mowing company? The Lawn Wranglers. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Keep up the mowing, Kimasabi. It was, it was, it's landscaping, not just mowing. Oh, man, don't listen to that guy. I don't know. Sometimes I, I mean, I'm not always as confident as I look. Did you see what he had on? Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, well, wait a second. I knew you'd be back. Three conditions. One, you mastermind the plan. Two, Bob's on the team. Let's hear the third one. Gotta get me one of these jumpsuits. <laughs> you like these? Yeah. Done. Deal. All right. You're doing the right thing, Anthony. Yeah, I know. All right, I'll see you later on. Need any help? No, I think I got it. Okay. So he reconciles with Anthony, and Dignan invites Anthony to a heist with Mr. Henry, and Anthony accepts on the condition that Bob is allowed in, too. So they're all reunited once again. This makes you wonder, though, if it's Anthony's idea to involve Bob in this heist, then what would have happened if he didn't involve Bob in the heist? <laughs> it's a good point. So I don't know. Who knows when the idea occurred to Mr. Henry right. to rob Bob's house? I don't know. This is finally when James Conn actually enters the film. Right. <laughs> and from here, he has about four scenes. Everything with him in this movie is so strange. That warehouse that they're stationed in where he's doing karate with that guy who's in just in tidy whitey <laughs> underwear. Yeah, his business manager. It seems like just this big warehouse. There's like a party scene there eventually. Yep. A lot of weird stuff going on. He goes to lunch with them at the country club. And that's the scene that is kind of a misdirection for not only the characters but the audience too where... Mr. Henry stands up for Bob and to future any other man. guys to Future Man. And so you're like, okay, well, maybe Mr. Henry's on the up and up, and he's like on their side. And he definitely endears himself to at least Bob in this moment. Right. He invites him to this party, 
and this is when Anthony calls Inez. I guess, okay, so before this is when Dignan tells Anthony finally about that interpreter kid saying, (laughs) tell Anthony that I love him. And so Anthony realizes that he was speaking for Inez. Well, it doesn't take him long to put that together. Yeah. What else would that have meant? Right. (laughs) Dignan's still confused, not really getting it. And then he calls Inez. He calls the hotel from the party. Yeah, he calls like every room in the hotel. (laughs) Tracks her down. They speak on the phone. Her English is improved. She tells him that she loves him. They kind of have a shared moment. Rekindle this. And every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, there has to be another scene with them actually together. It does feel that way. And then there never is. Right. That is strange. And disappointing, I would say. Yeah, because you start to think then, well, what was the point of this relationship? Because I felt like at a certain point that that was the movie. But then it becomes this other thing. Right. I always felt like that this is just indicative that they're going to get together. Oh, yeah, I agree. Because at the end of the movie... Anthony mentions to Dignan that Inez is coming up and she's bringing a care package. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So basically the plan is (laughs) the group is going to do a heist at this cold storage facility with a couple of Mr. Henry's guys, one named Applejack and one named Kumar. That's right. Kumar, who you'll recognize from every... Yeah, he played Pagoda in Royal Tenenbaums. Right. And pops up pretty much in all of his <laughs> yes. older stuff. I, I, I'm wondering if Kumar's still with us. I don't know. Mm, hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll check that. They right had now. like a funny cut scene from the movie where his character is, I don't know what event they're at, but he's like doing one of those things where it's like spinning plates. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got like all these sp- plates spinning across the table. It looked funny. I mean, I didn't get to see the whole sequence, but I guess like it was really torture for the producers trying to get Wes Anderson to like cut stuff out of this movie. There was like a bunch of scenes that got cut out, but they were like trying to get it down to a reasonable runtime. But this being his first movie, I guess he was really putting up a lot of fight towards cutting the scenes out that he wanted in it. Yeah. And Kumar, yeah, he's no longer with us. So R.I.P. He's hilarious in his very limited role yeah. in the movie. It's hard to say what Applejack and Kumar are. Are they intentionally acting like idiots on this heist? I don't know, time, I guess. Or are they idiots? I can't really tell. Well, it never even occurred to me until recently that Applejack, was he actually faking the heart attack? I don't think so. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, at some point you find out that. What would it matter if they would have succeeded? Applejack. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. <laughs> I don't even know what they were getting out of this obviously it was a safe but what was in it i don't know so the whole plan is there's this cold storage facility that i guess stores like meat and stuff i don't know they're gonna rob this place a place that you can't imagine has any money right i don't really know what kind of cash they would have on hand yeah it's dignan anthony bob kumar and applejack kumar is supposed to be able to like crack the safe turns out that he can't do it i just like when he's just like i blew it man i blew it (laughs) that's right he doesn't do anything and then at one point when they're getting off the elevator (laughs) he just goes who was that man yeah (laughs) dignan's like that was applejack what do you mean who was that (laughs) no there definitely are some great moments during this heist and like bob's like walkie-talkie not working and coming to find anthony yeah and then applejack i guess has a heart attack which complicates everything basically the whole thing goes to shit they're about to be arrested the cops are like right there but they left applejack who was having the heart attack on the elevator 
Anthony and Dignan argue about who's going to go get him. Right. Anthony basically laying it out there like, I could go get him and it'll probably work. If you go get him, you're going to fuck it up. You know, that's basically what he's saying in so many words. Where's Applejack? He's stuck on the second floor, man. Between two Did he give you the keys? There. Did he give you the keys? Applejack drove. What happened? I don't know. What happened? What happened? Run, 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 run. Go, go, go! What the hell happened to the plan, man? I don't know. Come on. Okay, I'll meet you at Bob's. Go. What? I gotta get Applejack. No, you're not. No, no. Yeah, I am, dude. No! I gotta find Solo on this, baby. Okay, Dignan. I, I don't have time to argue okay, with you right now. I don't now. have time either, okay, Dignan? Now you get back to Bob's. Just go. Who is in charge here? You are, you dumb son of a bitch. Now please leave. Give me this one. Give me this one. You gotta give me this one. Dignan, you know what's gonna happen if you go back there. No, I don't. Never catch me, man. Because I'm fucking innocent. Dignan just runs in anyway to get him, and everyone gets out except for Applejack and Dignan, who then right. get arrested. We have a check back in at Bob's house. Yeah. Where Mr. Henry is there, just loading all of the possessions of Bob's house into a moving truck. <laughs> yeah, so the whole plan for the cold storage facility was just a diversion a smokescreen to get them doing something else while they robbed Bob's house, which was a much bigger score than anything that was going to happen at this cold storage place. Obviously, we find out Mr. Henry is well-connected because Applejack is able to walk from this. Yeah, although I don't really know. I guess armed robbery, I'm not really sure sure what. Yeah, they did have guns, and they were pointing them in people's faces. So, yeah, I mean, Dignan ends up getting sentenced to two years in prison. (laughs) (laughs) He's so joyful about it. So the film ends then with Anthony and yeah, well, Bob they're, they're visiting, visiting Dignan prison. <laughs> right. Yeah, Dignan just it, yeah, somehow this whole like getting arrested has like breathed new life into him. And he doesn't really sympathize very much with Bob's situation. Oh. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, they robbed that place. I thought about doing that myself." <sighs> you know what? How much do you think they got for that grand piano? It had to be 10 grand. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty great. It, it all kind of ends with Dignan just like summarizing, like, we did it. Yeah. Even though they did nothing, everything went horrible. Right. And I think the idea there is that they accomplished just doing something. Not that they actually accomplished the feat that they set out to <laughs> True. robbing yeah. this place successfully, but they just did something. And the final moments of the film is kind of Dignan for once winking back at the camera. Yes. As if he kind of knows what his role is in right. everybody's life because he starts doing this whole thing about he's going to break out of prison they gotta do all this stuff <laughs> yeah. and they're like wait what what <laughs> you know and they're panicking that yes. he's going to do something and he's like all right you got to take out the watchtower and blah, blah, blah you know and then he's clearly joking right it's really a movie about the excitement and boldness of youth and how as you get older that kind of it's just extinguished from your life. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Everything sucks. Like how every movie should be. All right, so That's Dignan really the had to go to jail for two years, yeah. but <laughs> they weren't really beholden to everyday 
adult responsibilities yet, and they just had some fun. And thankfully, nobody got hurt, except maybe Applejack, but we don't know what happened there. It might have been fake. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me read this thing from Scorsese. He picked Bottle Rocket as one of his favorite 10 films of the 1990s. He wrote wow. about it. I, was, I thought it was going to be 1998. 96. Oh, 96. <laughs> Rushmore was 98. Oh, that's right. He wrote about Wes Anderson and Bottle Rocket and everything in March 2000 issue of Esquire magazine. And it's pretty short. The whole thing is worth reading. How much do you think like Scorsese gets paid to write an article for Esquire? Not much, if anything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's just doing it for fun? Maybe. Okay. I mean, why I don't know. Would he I mean, I guess they maybe offer something. Right. It, well, but... I mean, I'm sure it's not like a million dollars, but I wasn't sure like even what someone takes in for that. Well, I think Scorsese, of all people, would be the easiest to get to do something like this. Yeah, true. he just loves movies so much. Right. Talking about them. And he may have just said some of this stuff and somebody else transcribed it. That's Who true. Knows? But it seems like he wrote it. And so he's talking about Wes Anderson's use of music and the way that he used it in Rushmore and Bottle Rocket. And he says, quote, and I also love the scene in Bottle Rocket when Owen Wilson's character Dignan says, they'll never catch me, man, because I'm fucking innocent. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> then he runs off to save one of his partners in crime and gets captured by the police, over 2,000 man by the Rolling Stones. He and the music are proclaiming who he really is. He's not innocent in the eyes of the law, but he's truly an innocent. For me, it's a transcendent moment, and transcendent moments are in short supply these days. I did this project on Wes Anderson's movie oh, wow. in my intro to pop culture class in Here college. Yeah, that's a real class, and I took it, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's right. It was my last semester at school. Yeah. And I think like everyone in the class was just so annoyed with my Wes Anderson. Me and this other kid did it because we both like Wes Anderson, and we did this whole presentation, I think, or something. I can't oh, boy. remember. Yeah. And everyone was just so annoyed with me, probably oh, by the them. end of that class, because every class was just. What like, did they ever do that was so great? Let's talk about whatever, and it would just be this group discussion, and I would just be there with my head down, and then I'd listen to everybody talk for like twenty five minutes, and then I would just raise my hand and just disagree with everything that everyone was saying the entire <laughs> wow, time, yeah. and everyone would just be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> But, yeah, I used that quote for that Wes Anderson thing, and it always stuck out to me because it's such a high compliment coming from someone like that. But How did this presentation go? Like, what was I the... I don't remember. All right. I just remember using that quote in, okay. as part of it. And the, it was funny because Wes Anderson movies are so critically acclaimed for the most part, but the whole point of it was, like, you can like whatever you want to like, even though you would think that, like, Wes Anderson stuff would be, like, the... The bougie choice. Right, yeah. Anyway, it was like we were still making the point that some people might not like Wes Anderson movies, but fuck them. <laughs> that was like kind of the whole point, I yeah. guess. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> I was also watching a lot of that 70s show and King of the Hill on TV, like on FX in the afternoon. And so I would raise my hand in class and bring up how great those shows yeah. were. And everyone would just be like, what? I actually have a, a book about Wes Anderson, I don't know, movies called fucking innocent uh-huh have not read it yet but pretty cool yeah <laughs> naming your book that's always a way to guarantee a lot of sales that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's keep this episode short let's just wow. give our final thoughts on bottle rocket and wes anderson from this era well what else is there to say i mean i feel like it's all in there right oh so you don't even want to give final thoughts final thoughts i mean i'm always <laughs> going to 
defend Wes Anderson, which seems like a weird thing because his movies are well-reviewed every time, but like there does seem to be quite a bit of a Wes Anderson backlash. There always is. Yeah. With anybody. It's, it's the... You it, wouldn't think that people wouldn't like... People who consider themselves film fans, you wouldn't think that they wouldn't like Paul Thomas Anderson. But true. there's tons of people. Well, that's true. But I just You wouldn't like... think that people didn't like Christopher Nolan, but there's tons of people. Ah, that's do. true. People criticize Spielberg or Hitchcock or whoever. You can find them for anybody. But it's, there's I, it always does, pockets of haters. It, it does always go back to with Wes Anderson, it seems to be the I just don't like the quirky stuff, you know? Like people are always throwing that I out can there. I get that. Yeah, I, it is a little I mean, certainly that stuff can annoy me too at times, or I don't need it anyway. But I do always think that his scripts are so interesting and so fun, and there's just so many parts of his movies that I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm in this. I get it. And, uh, you know, going back to the Scorsese thing too, his choices of music always, like, I always walk away from the movies being like, oh, wow, there's like five songs that I need to either revisit or add to my collection. Yeah, I think my favorite of his films is Royal Tenenbaums, but script-wise, every line of Rushmore is like a work of art. Oh yeah, every line is hilarious almost. It just is so well crafted and put together and funny. And this movie is pretty close. I mean, there's definitely some parts that are just in service to the story and the plot, which is fine. But there's also a lot of gems in this in virtually every scene. Sure, absolutely. You know, I love Darjeeling Limited, too, and as we've gotten into the more recent years of him, I mean, the movies seem on a little bit different scale. It would be kind of fun to see him go back to a little bit smaller scale. Yeah, and even the new one now, the big musical thing in France that sure. has, like, so many people right. in it is probably going to be wild. Obviously, we're at a time, though, where he's making movies that aren't making, like, my top ten of the year, as we can see, like, with, like, an Isle of Dogs. Yeah, Isle of Dogs, for me, was okay. It's just the same as Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm not thrilled when he's working in that particular medium. The stop motion, whatever that is. For me, I still thought Fantastic Mr. Fox had a lot more lines that made me laugh in it than Isle of Dogs did. But it's hard to say. I I felt like they were pretty similar. I'd be willing to give Isle of Dogs another shot, though. Do you prefer Darjeeling or Life Aquatic? I prefer... Darjeeling but the one thing about Life Aquatic is like that's one that I feel like is kind of too whimsical at times but every time I have like a lot of space away from it I kind of always want to go back and watch it again. I think I prefer Life Aquatic even though that's the one where a lot of people turned on him. Yeah. I think Darjeeling Limited is too long and you could cut off like the last 20 to 25 minutes. It ended at a certain point and then it just kept going for like 20 25 more that's probably true I, I just know that when i first saw darjeeling limited there were just so many parts in it that made me laugh and i rewatched it like so many times like i love the dynamic of the three brother characters in that movie yeah it's funny i do like it though. yeah okay so follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes and keep checking that feed for new and exciting stuff there probably will be a give us a second in your future so yeah probably not the last time we'll check in on Wes Anderson hopefully not yeah if we do you know at least another 100 episodes I'm which sure we're we'll... planning on doing <laughs> I'm sure we'll get back there right again all right so uh, I guess that'll do it and we'll see you next time well, my name is a number of
Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry, goes back and squishes him, says, ketchup. Hmm. Hmm. Ketchup. 